Welcome to the Aerospace Advantage Podcast. I'm Doug Berkey, Executive Director of Mitchell Institute. Here on Aerospace Advantage, we speak with leaders in the DOD, industry, and other subject matter experts to explore the intersection of strategy, operational concepts, technology, and policy when it comes to air and space power. If you like learning about aerospace power, you're in the right place. Consider our regular listeners, welcome back. And if it's your first time here, thanks so much for joining us. And as a reminder, if you like what you hear, please do us a favor and follow our show and give us a like and leave a comment so we can keep charting the trajectories that matter most to you. And this week, we're honored to host Colonel Joshua Kozlov, commander of the 350th Spectrum Wing. Bottom line, spectrum warfare is pivotal to success in modern conflict. We used to call this electronic warfare, or EW for short. The goal is to harness the electromagnetic spectrum to our advantage while denying access to the enemy. It's crucial for closing modern kill chains and empowering new concepts like Joint All-Domain Command and Control, JADCT for short, and Advanced Battle Management System, what we call ABMS. Now, a lot of the spectrum warfare tools are well known. Things like sensors and apertures, connectivity through data links and radios, jammers and, and cyber tools. Now, in Desert Storm, electronic warfare was a powerful element of the air campaign success. In fact, it motivated others to develop similar capabilities, and I'm talking about countries like China and Russia. Now, in the same period, we took our foot off the gas for way too long in this area, kind of seeking that Cold War peace dividend, and you know, the threats raced ahead, and now it's time for us to regain our edge. You know, Air Force Chief of Staff General C.Q. Brown highlighted this in recent congressional testimony when he explained, we've lost some muscle memory regarding spectrum warfare. So to sum it up, that's why we're so excited to host Colonel Kozlov today. This is an awesome opportunity to learn what he and his team are doing in the zone. So sir, thanks for being here. Doug, thank you to you and the whole team at the Mitchell Institute for bringing us on. We're really excited to talk about the crows of the 350th Spectrum Warfare Wing. Well, sir, it's our honor. Now, big picture, I took my best run at it in the, in the beginning but could you describe how you think about modern spectrum warfare operations? And I mean, how does it differ from legacy concepts related to electronic warfare that we might've talked about past decades? Thank you for that question. I think that first and most primary way that our thinking has changed is that we used to have an old industrial production-based stovepiped model of how electronic warfare slash spectrum warfare worked against an adversary. And what we're advocating for in the 350th Spectrum Warfare Wing is advancing those techniques and thinking more rapid, thinking more agile, thinking more interoperable and integrated, and really changing from training against having a, a spectrum threat as not a contingency, but making it the norm and really making sure that our Air Force as an integrated whole can fight and win in the spectrum. Now, I appreciate that. Now, you know, get a little bit further down into the details here. I mean, how's your wing fit into the equation? I mean, your unit, it's got a long legacy, but you're also on a new vector in some regards. I mean, your current command launched in 2021. Can you walk us through that organizational and mission evolution? Absolutely. So coming out of the global war on terror and the contingencies that we're fighting, we realized that we'd lost some ground against the near peer threat. And so the Air Force and the Joint Force undertook a few different studies. And they came out with the electromagnetic superiority strategy. And one of those, one of the action items out of that strategy was to develop an organization focused on spectrum warfare and to get after the things that we need to get after as a wing. Our wing has three primary missions. 
We're supposed to do rapid reprogramming for the United States Air Force by consolidating the reprogramming enterprise. We're supposed to do target waveform development. And then we're also supposed to do assessment, which most folks in the Air Force know today is the combat shield mission. But we need to grow that to be a much more capable mission set in the future going forward. We're founded in 2021. We're two years old. To my knowledge, we're still the youngest wing in the Air Force. And we're already accomplishing great things. And it's really a privilege to be a member of this organization. I appreciate that, Terry. You know, obviously, we're not the only ones pushing forward in this zone. Could you paint a picture of how our adversaries have been growing their spectrum warfare capabilities? Yes. Yeah, so we are a United States Air Force Warfare Center organization aligned to ACC, but we encompass the whole Air Force. And so in our wing, we deal with bombers, we deal with special operations aircraft, and we deal with the ACC assets as well. And we have our eyes solely focused on our pacing challenge campaign plan, which is China. We believe in a lesser included threat, and we believe that if we can solve our big problems with the pacing challenge, we should be able to solve most of the other problems as well. It's been really interesting to watch what the war fight like with Ukraine and Russia has produced from a spectrum perspective. But we know that our adversaries have recognized EW, the spectrum, is our soft underbelly. Just as we've recognized that in them, and they're developing, trying to develop capability to be able to contest and or dominate the electromagnetic spectrum. So to drive home the importance of spectrum warfare, I think it's really important to highlight that while we still have combat aircraft flying missions, I mean, the nature of how they're going to achieve their effects is radically different. So, you know, in F-15 or B-1, they predict the invention of the World Wide Web, but in F-35 and a B-21, I mean, they're fundamentally information-centric combat platforms on a whole new level. I mean, what does it mean for your mission area? That's just an outstanding question. Thank you for that. That's that's awesome because it goes right to the essence of, of who we are as a spectrum warfare wing. So first, you, you simultaneously, we have to think differently about electronic warfare in the spectrum, and we have to adapt. And so the F-15 and the B-1 provide just as much amazing electronic warfare data as the F-35 and the B-21. So rather than an industrial production-based platform-centric model, we need to adopt the model where we're using all of the available adversary threat data to move forward in developing combat capability against our adversaries. So this data-centric, multi-level security-centric approach is absolutely critical as we break down stovepipes while modernizing to be able to use all of these systems in the threats of our future. You know, we have the Air Force we have today. So the F-15s, the B-1s, the F-35s, and B-21s are going to be in a war if we fight tonight or any time in the next few years. And so we have to find a way to modernize those capabilities in order to maximize their employment in a spectrum warfare scenario in order, in order to achieve the Joint Force Commander's objectives. A story that I like to tell is that all of these systems are going to be there night one. And so Bold Zero One is the call sign of an F-35 four-ship leading out an OCA push, an offensive counter-air push, to make room for some bombers to shoot long-range standoff weapons. The data running inside the platforms associated with that strike is the best data we have at that moment in time. However, the enemy gets a vote, and when war reserve modes pop, we're unfortunately, we're going to lose some aircraft due to that fact. What we need to be able to build is a system where that war reserve mode gets transmitted rapidly back to our engineers 
who can reprogram not just the F-35 Bolt-01 four ships, but also our bombers and our weapons associated with the next wave of attacks. And that's one way that we're going to be able to meet the Joint Force Commander's objectives in the near future. So, sir, if, if we think about the multi-domain aspect of this, and, and I'll just toss out GMTI as an example, we used to conduct this in a unilateral fashion. And by that, I mean in aircraft like J-STARS or Global Hawk, you know, and they had a given aperture and a crew executing the mission. Now we're really disaggregating it with space-based sensors and allowing other players to plug into it. And, you know, I'm thinking AESA apertures on F-35s, E-7, B-21. And so it's a far more diverse networked approach. So, you know, empowering that sits squarely in your wheelhouse, I think. So thoughts on this transition and what it means for spectrum warfare? Thank you. Yeah. So I, I think this question goes exactly to what General Brown and other senior leaders have discussed as part of the mindset shift when it comes to spectrum warfare and its importance to future wars. The wars and battles in the near future are going to be won or lost in the spectrum. And what is specifically going to make us win or lose is the ability to use data as a weapon. And by data as a weapon, what I mean is the ability to detect and find new sources of adversary data and rapidly develop new capability against their data and transmit that back out to our air forces in order to allow them to have advantage in the engagements that they're fighting. This can be macro in scale in terms of against the IADS, micro in scale against a specific threat, but using data and having the ability at the multi-classification level to integrate data from multiple platforms and capabilities and develop capability off of that new red system is what's going to make us win or lose in the near future. And then having the ability to develop TTPs and assess the results of those new capabilities is crucially important. No, good deal. So building off of that, I mean, spectrum warfare is also crucial to manifest visions for JADC2 and, and ABMS. So do you mind walking us through your thoughts on that? I mean, I'd argue without connectivity and collaboration between the disaggregated assets, kind of like what we were talking about before, you know, none of it works. And, and to this point, what your team delivers is a keystone element for modern kill chains and effects chains. 100%. You're right on the main vein. So when I talk about the wing, our three missions are rapid reprogramming, target waveform development, and assessment, which is essentially TTP development. In order to enable those three core missions, I need five critical things. The first thing I need is crowdsourced flight data, which is what I define as prioritizing our assets and their EW slash spectrum data coming off of those assets and putting them into the second thing I need, which is a multi-level classification data architecture that allows the engineers to develop a new capability and, and respond to what RED is doing in the spectrum. In order to do that, you need a, trans, a transport layer, aka EBMS, or as some people call it, EMBM, electromagnetic battle management that takes the signals from the edge or from the platforms and brings them to the place, the reprogramming centers, the capability development centers, where you're going to be able to develop the new capability and then transport it back out to the edge. Now, that's a massive problem because there's going to be massive amounts of data. And so there's a buzzword out there called cognitive EW. 
And there's an idea that we're going to invent computers and machines that are able to, at the edge, adapt and make real-time decisions and develop new capabilities against our adversary threat systems. I, I don't disbelieve that, but it's pretty far out there because you need data in order to organize a capability like that and train a capability like that. So in the short term, what we really need is the software coding and AI type skill sets in order to carve through all of that data so we can make rapid change detection and rapidly develop new capability. And then the final piece of that, like I said, is the assessment piece of that, which is being able to determine whether or not the capability or the that we developed works that the waveforms coming off our aircraft are good to go or that our assets are combat ready. So going back to the original question, the five critical ways that you can manifest ABMS from the electronic warfare perspective is crowdsource flight data, the data architecture by which to house that data, electromagnetic battle management, cognitive EW, and that ability to assess our capabilities in the spectrum. That is really interesting. And I mean, it's so dynamic how that's playing out right now. It's, it's fascinating. So I'd like to talk about developing new technology and fielding new spectrum warfare tools and infrastructure. I mean, it sounds like from what you're saying, technology is moving so fast that we can't think about spectrum warfare modernization like we do, you know, big physical assets like aircraft or ships. I mean, we'll fall behind if we measure progress in years or decades. So to that end, I mean, do you see new modes of innovating and acquisition to, to keep up with the threat and that necessary pace? That's an interesting question, and I do. So our wing is an operational wing, Air Combat Command. And if we fight in future wars, I anticipate our wing will be supporting the air component that is, is fighting in that war. In the spectrum world, we need two critical things. The first thing we need is an integrative PEO that is able to go across all of the different weapon systems to ensure that we're all moving the same way, same day. Right now, today in the Spectrum Warfare Wing, I, our wing reprograms over 70 assets and works with over 20 SPOs in order to develop requirements and capabilities for all those platforms. And there's not one central integrating function for that. And that's what leads to that production-based, industrial-based timeline that I talked to you about earlier. So as an Air Force, in order to get innovative and be faster in the way we acquire new capabilities, we need to streamline the way that we are integrating all those capabilities across our weapon systems in terms of commonality. The second thing we need is a way to sustain and rapidly update all of those new capabilities that are developed. It's very easy to develop a widget. What's harder is to make sure that that widget is fully resourced and funded and sustainable over long periods of time. And that's where we find ourselves often with spectrum-related innovation and acquiring new capability. However, the easiest low-hanging fruit where we can innovate and make sure that we're acquiring new capabilities is, our, is the more investment in our people and training. So we need to begin to develop as an Air Force the ability to deliberately develop our electromagnetic spectrum warriors, which are not just your electronic warfare officers on, on airplanes. It's also your engineering force. It's also your intel force. It's also your acquisition force among just a couple of career fields. Secondly, we have to modernize how we train our forces in our large force exercise presentations. The days of being able to train at the full up levels at the range 
are rapidly fading away. So as we develop our next generation of virtual training methods, we have to make sure that they're spectrum informed and are going to increase the readiness of our forces ability to fight and win in the electromagnetic spectrum. So, you know, what about a world where emission effects are increasingly derived through software, not just hardware? What does that mean for you guys? Well, I think we're leading the way there. We are, I've always been about data. Our whole mantra is data is a weapon. And that's the essence of what rapid reprogramming does is it's providing new data and software is essentially just data to our platforms. And with some of the modern platforms that are coming into our wing that we'll be supporting, the software is what makes that, the data is what makes that platform tick. And so we are trying to keep pace with being able to develop the capability that is necessary to support those assets. So I want to pull the thread on, on something you're you're hitting upon earlier, and that's the human dimension. And, you know, we talk a lot about technology, but without trained professionals, just like you were saying, to develop con-op strategy and execute missions and, and all that, this, this doesn't work. And I think a lot of it comes down to on-ramping the new talent and growing the field. And, and we all know the Air Force took a lot of risk in, in this mission area during the 90s after the Cold Wars that drew down EW. How do we get a new bench of talent? Because obviously you can only absorb so much at a given time, and yet the the demand for this is just going off the charts. And and I think this has got to be something that would, would keep folks awake at night because we've got to get this right. But it, this is really complex stuff. You don't just flip a switch and get experts. Absolutely. This is something that I spend just a ton of time thinking about often. We have to, the way that electronic warfare experts were developed in the past was also industrial-based and a production mindset. We did that through our platforms. So if you are like, I'm an EC-130H Compass Call guy, I was an EC-130H Compass Call guy, and, and that community, that tribe managed my career, and different tribes had different levels of deliberately developing their peoples. The... As we move forward in the spectrum, we're going to have to begin deliberately developing our spectrum warriors in, in a way that we haven't done in the past. And so we're going to have to be able to take electronic warfare officers from all of our platforms and deliberately put them in key billets as they progress through their careers in order to develop the mindset and the, the capabilities that we need. But it's not just about our electronic warfare officers. As I mentioned earlier, there's a, a, a plethora of career fields that impact the spectrum. And we need to raise everybody's spectrum game across the Air Force. But we also have to deliberately develop specific spectrum experts in career fields such as engineering, intelligence, to name a few. Maintenance, of course, our enlisted career force is, is crucial. And so these are some of the tough challenges we face when we talk about deliberately developing our talent. I think we're just beginning to do that with the advent of this wing and some of the initiatives that we've been working on with various match comps, but we have a long way to go to make sure that we continue to develop the best human capital for the spectrum. I personally think that over time, we're going to have to begin to develop closer ties with academia and research organizations and even industry to be able to develop capabilities at the space and scale that we're going to have to in the future. So do you have thoughts on how you'd like 
you're wanting to integrate with the Space Force and kind of spectrum warfare community at large? Because the synergies there, I think, would be significant. Absolutely. I would really, I look forward to the day that we're working very closely hand in hand with the Space Force. I think that the Space Force has taught the Air Force a lot about electronic warfare. I think that there is definitively pairing of mission between my organization and organizations within the Space Force. And we have to be able to work together. A waveform is a waveform, right? And if I build that waveform for a fighter, for a bomber, or for a, you know, a space-based asset, it has an intended effect. And then you're just talking about how do I transmit that to the adversary? And so if, we, if we're going to be adaptable, interoperable, and integratable, we need to be able to develop the capability that you can use different waveforms or techniques or capabilities across various different platforms. And so rather than stovepiping a specific type of technique in one platform, we need to be able to spread that out across our force in order to make us more lethal and faster in achieving our objectives in support of the Joint Force Commander. I look forward to much closer collaboration with the Space Force. It's a must. It has to happen. And I can't wait to get there. Yeah, to hear you talk about that, you can really see the day where a strike package is going in and you're seeing, I would assume, combined effects, both air and space delivered on the spectrum front to truly really net the end goal. Is that accurate? 100%. You know, the, the key to that will be command and control and that transport layer that I talked about earlier. And then the key to that to really make it happen is we have to be able to train to that, whether that's in a virtual environment or in our high-end training exercises. And then our combatant commanders and our air component commanders need to have the capabilities by which they can integrate those TTPs into their operational plans, into their exercises, and into their staffs. Uh, that again, really appreciate your thoughts here because that's so important. And then, you know, another thread pull here that you're mentioning earlier, and that's work that we're seeing both in academia and industry. You know, and just an example that I got a lot of press is Georgia Tech's, you know, quote, angry kitten jamming pod that we later flew on an MQ 9. And we've also seen things like BAE's EPAWS system, which is really impressive. It's on F-15EX. And, and can you talk to us about how these partnerships are important to advance a mission? I mean, I'm guessing this collaboration is, is going to be very significant as we work to, to meet the threat and buy down risk. Yes, I think that a, a key challenge in the spectrum always comes down to classification. It's just a difficult problem because we don't want to expose all of the amazing capability that we are developing and give that to our adversary. Electronic warfare, spectrum warfare is inherently a, you know, to steal from Mad Magazine, a spy versus spy type of game. And there's always checks and balances as one guy makes a move, the other guy makes a move. And so I think that the really key part is we need to do a better job of identifying our gaps and seams against the adversaries that are, are pacing channels, specifically China and the lesser is Russia. We have to develop those capabilities and we have to be fearless in discussing with our industry partners and our academia partners what those gaps and seams are in order to help develop the best capability. Now, earlier I talked about the need for an integrated PEO for electronic warfare and spectrum warfare. This is an absolute because the number of, I call it widget madness, but the number of folks out there developing things is amazing. 
but there's no way to harness all that. And so what you end up with is a scattershot of things that sometimes just based on the capabilities of a, a PR department, gain traction or gain interest or those types of things. And what we really need to do is continue to develop our Air Force level approach to the Spectrum Warfare Wing and be able to focus on our data and be able to use that data as rapidly as possible with all the folks that needed it to include our joint coalition partners. The Spectrum is inherently joint, it's inherently coalition, and we need to be able to focus on those entities in order to buy down risk. So where do you see Spectrum Warfare going in you know, five, 10 years? And, and as we go through that period, how should those of us on the outside be grading your team's homework? <laughs> oh, man, can we cheat on the test and get an A right now? <laughs> um, but, no pressure. Yeah, no pressure at all. So we feel the pressure. I'll, I'll be honest with you, right? And so I feel that pressure every day. Our team feels that pressure every day because we are under the pressure of not just building a new wing in the United States Air Force, which I'll talk to the, some of the things that are, are tangible that you could grade may guest in a second, but we're also like doing our modernizing our existing job as we go, right? And so I think some ways you can grade us are, we're gonna build our third operations group starting one October, is the first people that show up at Robbins Air Force Base in Warner Robbins, Georgia, and they'll be part of the 950th Spectrum Warfare Group with their total focus being on assessment and readiness for the United States Air Force in the Spectrum. There's gonna be four squadrons in that group, and they're gonna be focused on everything from platform-specific readiness to large force exercise, employment, and assessment, bottom line, and get into you know TTP development and write down some of these things that have been art in the future. So I think that you can grade us in five years on how successful were we in standing up that 950th organization and making sure that we're developing a more ready force. I think you can also grade us on how quickly we realize our vision of crowdsourced flight data driving the ability to rapidly reprogram all of our Air Force assets and simultaneously providing the well by which we allow engineers and folks to develop new combat capability off of what we're collecting in the spectrum. And so I think those are the, the two primary ways. I think if we're able to build, as we continue to grow, if we successfully build the 950th Spectrum Warfare Group and increase our ability to assess our readiness across the force and simultaneously build the capability to be more rapid in our development of capabilities, I think we'll be able to pass the test. No, that's really, really good to hear. And, you know, again, future looking, we hear about a concept called cognitive EW. You mentioned a little bit ago. How does that fit in the mix? Can you clarify that a little bit? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. So it is a little bit of a buzzword, right? And so I, I want to be very clear, like one of the things that we need in the Air Force is more offensive capability. And one of the key cornerstones that I've talked about earlier is that we have to think a little bit differently and adapt faster in the spectrum and the way we develop spectrum warfare capabilities, right? And so I believe that in the future, we are going to be able to have cognitive EW types of capabilities. However, they're going to take a long time to develop. And so we have to resource and fund the ones that make the most sense. And we have to support them with the types of data they're going to require in order to make sure they have the most impacts in a combat situation. And in most cases, we're still in the low TRL phase on some of these capabilities. And so we'll continue to fund great thought, but realize that the more important pressing problem is the data that feeds and builds these types of capabilities. I, I personally think that there's room outside of cognitive EW, just in EW in general, 
for more offensive capabilities and transmitters that are required in order to meet the massive scale that we would face in a scenario against our pacing challenge vis-a-vis -vis in China. And just for those that are new to this field, can you define cognitive EW? I mean, really, what is it kind of brass tacks level? Yeah, I would say that the spectrum warfare views cognitive EW as a system that can sense an ID and make decisions based off of the ROE set by the CFAC or the JFC in order to achieve combat effects. That's impressive stuff. So, you know, we often talk about AI, artificial intelligence is defining a, a lot of, of what we're going to see in the battlefield of the future. How is it playing a role in your world? Massive. One word answer, massive. However, I've got to get more, I've got to get faster. So when you talk about dealing with the data as a weapon and you think about crowdsourced flight data, the amount of data that we're going to have has the ability to drown us. And so we have to develop the capabilities that allow us to immediately detect new changes in the spectrum environment and then respond to that. Whether that response is a, is a, a countermeasure coming off an airplane or identifying to an engineer, this is something that we need to look at to reprogram. We need to develop that capability uh, ASAP in order to meet the objectives put on us by our higher headquarters and our operational plans. So when you engage with senior leaders or, or members of your own team, how do you explain the importance of your mission? I mean, what are your key messages? And I have to imagine that a lot of it centers around spectrum warfare increasingly serving as a keystone capability required to actualize the rest of the force. Can you kind of break it down for us? Yes, I think it's pretty well known amongst our senior leaders that the spectrum warfare is a keystone capability in order to win in the future. I think that's well known. I think all of our senior leaders, General Brown, General Kelly at ACC, I think that Admiral Aquilino has been on the record with the with Congress talking about how if we don't win in the spectrum, we're going to lose the fight. So when I'm talking about the wing, what I try to do is focus on the things that this wing does, what our operational mission is, and then how to develop the way to fix some of my requirements of resources disconnects so I can go as fast as I need to to provide the capability required by our joint force commanders. And that's really the, the key message there. And so that's why you'll hear me talk very often about data as a weapon. I talk about rapid reprogramming, target waveform development and assessment. I talk about crowdsourced flight data, crowdsourced flight data, data architecture, electromagnetic battle management, cognitive AW and assessment often, because those are the things that get us to the future that allows us to win in the spectrum. And we need to be able to invest smartly in those things, which is why I talk about things like the integrative electronic warfare, spectrum warfare, PEO, that allows us all to move the same way, same day, so that we don't get stuck in a place where we're just buying widgets, and rather we're actually buying capability that can, when integrated and planned for properly, meet the Joint Force Commander's objectives. Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, Sir, we can't thank you enough for, for being with us today. We're at the end of our time block, but this it's been an awesome conversation. We'd really like to have you back because I think there's so many more layers to this and its importance is, is only going to grow. So sincere appreciation from us. Thank you to you and the team. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this and highlight the awesome work of our wing. You know, one more time for the readers, as are the listeners, as you guys sign off, 
The 350th Spectrum Warfare Wing is responsible for reprogramming over 70 platforms across the Air Force. We're responsible for target waveform development and for our EW readiness across the force. And so we don't think we know it all. And so if you're out there listening and you have a question, please let us know and find us and, and talk to us about it. Because one of the things we are trying to do is increase the number of mission partners we have so that we can more effectively meet the challenges of the future. This has been an underserved area, but there's a lot of awesome people working in this area. And the Spectrum Warfare Wing is just proud to have the opportunity to make a dent in the, in the overall problem set. So great afternoon and I look forward to talking to you again. Aim high. And with that, I'd like to extend a big thank you to our guests for joining in today's discussion. I'd also like to extend a thank you to our listeners for your continued support and for tuning in to today's show. And if you like what you've heard today, don't forget to hit that like button and follow or subscribe to our Space Advantage. You can also leave a comment to let us know what you think about our show or areas that you think we should explore further. And as always, you can join the conversation by following Mitchell Institute on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. And you can always find us at mitchellaerospacepower.org. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.